Uh, well, again, it is um, a privilege to be here with you, uh, to draw your attention to God's Word. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but um, last week was long, uh, and I felt like every day I saw more words than I could have imagined I would see, even just driving up and down 400 or wherever it was, or how many times my phone rang or buzzed, or how many e- emails uh, I got the opportunity to walk through. And so last week was pretty rough, right? Well, I'm thankful I get the opportunity to draw your attention to words not like those, but words that are living and active. Uh, And in this moment, it's the greatest way I get to love you, is by drawing your attention to these words. And I pray that over the next few moments, and thanks Bob for praying this, but over the next few moments, that your affections would not be stirred toward me, (laughs) please no, but your affections would be stirred toward Jesus, and that you would leave here holding hands with him as we look at Psalm uh, 126. Um, now, a number of years ago, I was on staff with Campus Crusade, and I think this started then, is that uh, the Psalms became this place of refuge for me. Uh, a place, um, not just in terms of my vocation, when things were weary, I ran to, but just even in terms of just life and relationships. The Psalms were places I went to. Um, and I, what I found a few years ago was the places I would run to the most in the Psalms were these songs called the Psalms of Ascent. About 15 Psalms, right near the, almost the end of the book of Psalms, that some scholars believe were sung and written um, on, for pilgrims who were journeying up to Jerusalem, the place where they would find God's temple and God's presence and that they would worship. It was a hard road. It was a long road. And so that these songs would be sung together uh, as they were making this journey as a way just to remember what God not only has done in the past, but how God is engaged in their life in the present, and to give them a hope for what's to come when they reach Jerusalem or reach Zion. And I think one of the reasons that these psalms have been so good for my soul and for our family is we feel like we're on a journey, (laughs) We've been on a journey for a long time, wondering, Lord, where are you going to land our family? Not only where are you going to land our family, but what is it that we're going to be doing? And that there's often fears. And so that these psalms have helped us to look back. They've helped us just to be grounded in a present. But they've also to help us to point our eyes to the future. But if I'm honest, it's not about just this journey that we're on, why these psalms have been so key to my, to my heart, to my soul, it's because as we're on this journey, things just feel like they're falling apart. It feels as though we're walking on a path that is absolutely broken and cracked. We're doing this thing that God has called us to move toward in faith, but the whole while it feels as though that our world is not as it should be. And I'm stumbling and we're tripping on this journey together. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I can imagine it does. Because we do live in a world that's cracked, that's broken, that makes us yearn for something that's actually better, to hope for a better place. And every time we show up on Monday morning, we're reminded of how broken things are. We're glad that holidays are past because every holiday we're reminded how broken things are in our family. We're glad when we finally put down social media because the whole way through we're just thinking, goodness gracious, really? This is, what we're, this is our world? This is our life? These are my relationships? 
We turn off the news in despair because the news and the politics and the, and the, the, the election cycle are just too much to bear. I think the Psalms of Ascent have been good for me, and I think I hope will be good for you, is that because they remind us that yes, our world is broken, but they tell us it's okay to keep moving, and to keep moving with a great sense of hope, because there is someone who is the bringer of joy. There is someone who is able to bring to us, even in the bleakest of situations, even the, in the direst and the brokenness and the darkest of relationships, there is someone who is a giver of great joy and the restorer of even the broken and the most broken and bleakest of places. And with that, I, what I want to do is I want to read right now Psalm 126 to help you to see that Psalm 126 gives us a clue that there is no desert dry, dry enough that God could not enter into and to bring new life. Before I read it, I just want to pause and pray. Father, will you help right here? Father, will you help? Will you help us understand how this, your word, is not only living and active, but is powerful enough to shape and to train us and to form us and to renew us? And that, Father, as we look at this together, Father, would you, would you help me to be able to communicate what you want to communicate. And that as the end of this moment ends, Father, may we all walk out of here holding hands with you because of the hope that we see in this even small passage of Psalm 126. And so we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Psalm 126, a song of ascent. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I've had two professional jobs in my career. I've already mentioned that I used to work with the, the Gherkins on staff with Campus Crusade and in East Asia and then Auburn University and then the University of Southern Mississippi before coming here to Atlanta. But the other profession I had was I was a horticulturist. I uh, grew up in a family that had a landscape company and a garden center, and so I grew up in this profession, and I loved it. It was a really a lot of fun, and so I actually hold degrees in both of those professions. I have a degree in being a pastor, if you can have one of those, uh, and I have a degree in be, of being a horticulturist. And both of them I have deeply loved. I've loved both of the callings that, that God has placed on my life, and I still enjoy both of them. Uh, if I could have a church with a big garden in the back of it, that'd be awesome to put them together. That's a good idea, right? Um, but here's what I found. Both of those professions are an exercise of faith. Now, when I was a horticulturist, I had to learn um, the science of plants, their pathology and their physiology. I had to learn how they grow and how tall they grow and how do you trim them and take care of them so that they actually learn, they flourish in the way that they were created. I learned to anticipate their growth. I learned how to hope for their harvest, right? 
if it was flowers or fruit or whatever it was. But I also learned how to do the hardest task of a horticulturist or even a farmer. It's a task of waiting. Wendell Berry, the farmer poet, uh, in one of his Sabbath poems said this. He said, By the work of ours the filled is tealed and left to grace, that we may reap great work is done while we sleep. Now in pastoral ministry I've learned to do the same thing. I've learned to pray. I've learned to love by God's grace. I've learned to, to study God's word. I've learned in ways to help stir affections for Jesus. I've learned how to do evangelism and discipleship. Even mobilizing students and other folks to the ends of the earth. But I also have had to learn the hard task of waiting. As I engage in those things, it is God's grace that comes in that brings new life. And in both the work of a horticulturist and in both the work of a pastor, the spiritual work, they both require faith. And not a blind, misplaced faith, but a faith that is strongly rooted in the knowledge of what, a, the, what the plants do and what God is capable of doing. And in Psalm 126, it's a song that tells us to wait. But not wait without hope, but wait with, wait with a hope that is grounded in who God is and what God is capable of doing. For it is by God's grace, Psalm 126 tells, tells us, that hope and joy can come even in a desert that seems as if it will never ever sprout, sprout, sprout new life. And how do I see that? Well, I think there's three things that, that I want to draw your attention to in Psalm 126. God is wanting us to see what is happening in the past, or what God has done in the past, what he's done right now in the present, and then what he's capable of doing in the future. Look at verse 1 and 2. Because God, the psalm, is, the, the psalm is singing about God's work in the past. Verse 1 and 2 say this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said of the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now some scholars think that this is talking about a specific instance of God's deliverance of his people, the Israelites. Others are saying well, that's not just the one instance, but it's the continued instance of how God continues to redeem and to call his people out of danger that seems just bleak and unescapable into a place of care and love and future hope. It doesn't matter. I mean, it gets the point across. What the psalmist is saying here is that God has done something that seemed impossible. It's as if the captives were sitting captive and that the only hope for freedom was dreaming about it. But it actually happened. To where the captives don't, aren't dreaming about it anymore. They're actually dancing about it. They're singing about how God did the very impossible. The thing that was not something that we could imagine could happen other than in our dreams and Psalm 126 calls us back, calls folks back to look and say, look what God has done. He has done the impossible. He has brought the captive out into a place of feasting and rejoicing and singing. And so Psalm 126, verse 1 and 2, begins by, by saying, hey, ground your faith in what God has already done. And for many of us in this room, this is a great exercise to do, to stop and to think back, God, how have you... How have you done something in our life, in our family, in my work, in my school, wherever it is, that we look back and say, that was impossible, but only because of what you were able to do, it happened. 
And so we look back at these things even now and say, thank you, Lord. It was as if I was living in a dream because I couldn't imagine that very thing happening, but it did happen, and it brought me great joy. You might look back on your work. You might look back on your schooling or relationships or whatever it is, or even a moment in your family history where you look back and say, only by God's grace did that happen. We look back at those things with great joy, and actually we look back at them and we place our faith there saying, God, you were able to do it again. And so this psalm begins by calling us to first look back and to say, look what God did, which seemed impossible, but he did it. And not only did we, he, he do it, our neighbors looked around and said, wow, that, that's amazing. Something happened that we don't even imagine could have happened. And so we first look back, but then we actually look at our presence. In verse 3, the psalmist writes, the Lord has done great things for us. We are filled right now with joy. It's not only looking back, but it's as we look back, we place our faith in what God has done in the past, and we look in our presence and we say, Hallelujah, this is awesome. Lord, you are with us. You haven't been just with us in the past, but you are with us right now, and we are filled with great joy. As we remember the fortunes of the past, the Israelites said, right now we still feel that same joy. Now, so you hear that, you might like, really? Okay, I, yeah, looking back, I have nothing to look at that brings me joy because I don't know if God's actually ever shown up. Or you look at your present and you're like, I don't know. I don't really feel like my situation has any hope. There's no cracks. There's no light coming under the door. It's just a dark room that I feel like I'm in. But here's what this psalm takes another turn. The psalm doesn't just call us to look back. Or call us to look present. The psalm tells us to look forward. Look forward with great hope. And in, for me, now as a church planner, this, this psalm, this is where it, it hits me really hard. Because I'm sitting here, our church is the Harwell family. We're trusting the Lord to do something significant in our community, and we wonder, Lord, we see you do something in the past, we feel your presence with us now, but are you going to do it again? Are you going to do the thing that we feel like you've called us to? And so Psalm 126 is like a bomb to my soul to say, okay, Lord, you've done it in the past. I feel your presence now. Lord, I trust that you will do it again. And this is how it begins. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. The Negeb is a desert. Restoring streams to a desert? Really? Isn't this a great prayer? This is a great model prayer. Because when we think about the bleakness of our situations, this is the prayer I believe we should run back to. Lord, will you restore our fortunes? Or, Lord, will you bring streams to the Negev? Lord, we look back and we know that you've done it before. We're looking forward and this just looks bleak. Will you restore? Will you bring new life to what's to come? Just have you done in the past? Or if you look back in the past and you're like, Lord, you haven't done anything, you can look forward and say, Lord, will you do something that you haven't done? Will you bring a rainforest into the desert? It's a great model prayer. One I think we could pray for any of our situations, from relational to our vocations, to a church, to Tim who's even in India. What a great prayer. Lord, will you be with Tim? Will you help to bring 
a rainforest of new life into a spiritually dead, dry place. But this psalm isn't just about medicine for our soul. I think it helps us understand what is it that God's doing in our world. I'll give you an example. Uh, what, my first few years on staff with crew, I was living in East Asia, and I ran across a name of a man uh, named James Fraser. James Fraser was a missionary from the China Inland Mission a uh, long time ago, one of the first missionaries who actually made contact with a Chinese tribe, or not Chinese, but an indigenous tribe that's now in China called the Lisu. And as he engaged this community up in the hills, he was the first missionary that ever stepped foot in there. And as he looked around, he realized that this is a community that was full of idols, um, much like we just prayed for, prayed uh, in the, and looked at in the Belgian Confession. I'm sure that was the feeling of James Fraser as he walked into this tribe, and he wondered, what, what's it going to be like to have new life, new springs of life, so into a desert like this, spiritually speaking? And so he began to labor there. He began to share the gospel. He began to build relationships. He began to point people to Jesus. And he did that year in and year out for over six years with no converts. He continued to labor in what seemed like a desert, year in and year out. And so one of the things he began to do is he, he began to write letters to his mother. And his mother began to pray with her little prayer group in England that new life would come to a place like the Lisu. But James Fraser didn't sit back and just say, Lord, will you do something? He actually engaged it. He continued to sow seeds, that last little phrase in, in Psalm 126, is that we are those who are going about sowing seeds even with tears in our eyes. So for six years, James Fraser did this while his mother prayed. Uh, today, the Lisu tribe is actually a Christian tribe. Over 300,000 Lisu are followers of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Psalm 126 is a beautiful picture of, I think, what it looks like to walk faithfully in our world, sowing seeds in a broken place with great hope. The life of James Fraser is a great picture of what that looks like. But, many of you might be thinking, all right, <laughs> um, you don't know how broken my world is. You don't know how dark it feels, Andrew. You've never been here before. So you don't know how dark it feels to engage in my work, my family, with my neighbor, even my soul. And you're right. I don't know how broken that is. I don't know how dark it feels. But I do know this. If God can bring new life to a desert, I think that there should be hope in, inside of us that he can do something even in the darkest of situations, in darkest of places. Even though when we feel as though we want to run away, Psalm 126, I think, pulls us back to say, no, no, hope again. Hope again, not because of what you feel, but hope again by placing your hope in something that's happened in the past, something that is happening right now, and something that we've been told to hope for. Because if you begin to think about this, the Israelites were looking back at a past event about God's deliverance. And they felt his presence with them right then. And they were hoping again, even as they were walking up the hill, ascending to Jerusalem, they were hoping to be in the presence of the Lord again. Past, present, future. 
And if you and I think about it, it doesn't take long for us to think back, to say something has happened in the past that gives us great hope, that we can have hope in the present and the future. Paul writes that like this. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. The good news of the gospel, I think, is what we look back to in the past. Rooted in a real event where God Himself humbled Himself, took on the form of man, and walked up to a cross with great hope and great joy, so that you and I, who are rebels against Him, who are orphans, they become adopted sons and daughters of the King of Kings. In the bleakest of situations, when it seemed like all was lost, there was an event that stepped into our world, a man who stepped into our world and said, I'm going to give you hope that something can be totally different. He gave us the hope of resurrection, that something could come out of a dead heart, a dead reality, a desert something would come out that wasn't produced by us, but produced by Him. And so Psalm 126 calls us to look back, and when we look back, we, we look back immediately to Christ, who has come to give us the hope of resurrection, not only in our own hearts, but even relationships, even in our own world. And one of the ways we can hope is to look at our present situation and hear Christ Himself say, Do not fear. Believe in Me. Believe in my Father. He says, do not fear, but come to me and I will give you rest. Even in our present. But it also is rooted in the future that Christ said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And even in the end, we see Christ is making all things new. Even the driest and the dirtiest of deserts will become a garden. Will become a city of great joy for us. Yeah, our world's broken. Our world is cracked, and we feel it in every moment of our life. But Psalm 126 calls us to simply do this. Look back, realize the presence of where God is now, and to look forward with hope. And to look forward with resurrection hope. And as a church planner, this is my verse. This is my, my psalm. Look back on how God has already done these things. And I look at East Cobb, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. God has done something by planting a church here in East Cobb that's flourishing. Can He do it again? I look at the present and say, hey, God's called us to this. God's with us. So do not fear. And I look forward in hope to think, you know what? Christ is, going, is capable of doing something, even in a place like Alpharetta, that seems like impossible. To bring new life, not only to a community, but to bring new life to folks that, that have never heard of the name of Jesus. That's me. But I think this fits with you as well. When you think about your callings, when you think about your vocations, even your school and what you have in store for you Monday morning, or even whatever it is that's weighing heavy on your heart, Psalm 126, I think, is for you as well. That calls us not to place our hope in some, some event in the past that doesn't matter, but to look back at what has happened, and see how what Christ has done brings into the present just a great sense of joy, that He is with us, but also pushes us forward with great hope.
great hope that we can sow seeds even in a desert, knowing that new life will come. As a horticulturist, I was never taught to sow seeds in a desert because that was a waste of seeds. As a pastor, I was taught to sow seeds in a desert because Christ is capable of taking seeds in a desert and making them into a rainforest. You pray with me. Father, would you help?